98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Weekly Blast. Last night was a reminder that the Suns do not have to play great to beat good teams, but it was also a reminder that Draymond Green and the Warriors are something of a concern on our road to a title, and that's because there is something about that team that puts the Suns on edge that takes them out of their usual vibe, and last night's game was the perfect example. Now, after it was over, Green kept jawing with Jay Crowder. He accused Crowder of being a fake tough guy because he grew up in a rich area area of Atlanta. Quote, you're not like that. You're from Buckhead, Jay. You're from Buckhead. You're from a nice neighborhood. It's not like that. End quote. He also reportedly said, quote, you're the best team in the league and we almost cooked you without Steph. End quote. And after the great game, Green told the media that the Warriors had actually found themselves in the loss, that they had found their competitive spirit and they had found their defense. Now understand this. Clippers fans are saying the same thing right now with the return of Paul George and maybe Kawhi Leonard and just imagine the noise if the Grizzlies beat the Suns on Friday and remember this is mostly gamesmanship and posturing and morale building from teams that are chasing the Suns but the Warriors are a little bit different and I still really sincerely hope these teams meet in the playoffs giving Crowder a chance to dance over Draymond just like he did with LeBron. All right, today's Bickley Blast brought to you by my great friends at Chapman BMW who make luxury affordable with two great locations and one great experience. Find them online at ChapmanBMW.com. Well, after all is said and done after last night's game, hard fought as it was for the Suns to get to number 62, one thing was accomplished by Draymond Green, Mm -hmm. and that is... um, he lit the fuse of hatred again. If there is, <laughs> if there that. is a uh, playoff series to be had between the Suns and the Warriors, you think you've found yourself? Prove it. Yeah, the Golden State Warriors are an under five hundred basketball team since Christmas Day. They are. Think about that. They are. They've been looking for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think what we saw last night was not. Um, based, if I'm dividing it up in terms of responsibility, the Suns were off their game last night more than the Golden State Warriors were on their game. They turned the ball over 20 times. They yeah. were careless with the basketball. They made bonehead mistake after bonehead mistake. Sorry, Draymond. I don't care where Jay Crowder grew up. The Phoenix Suns let you stay in that game last night. Yeah, there is uh, there is that. It, this was not the kind of shooting performance that you expected. It was a, it marked a, an abrupt halt to Devin Booker's raging MVP campaign. Mm-hmm. And and so there's a lot of that. So the, the, there's a lot of when I when that game ended last night and I did not know the details of what Jay Crowder was barking at Draymond Green until I read about it this morning. My first reaction was, A, props to the Suns and Chris Paul for sort of showing another team once again that you might get close to us, but you're not beating us. And and the fact that they won 62 games now is, is you know, props to them for finding a way to beat a Golden State team on the road, a Golden State team that obviously was very motivated to, to try to win that basketball game. The flip side of it is, though, Draymond and that team they carry a little weird energy and it wasn't like it wasn't like the Warriors put forth a great game Jordan Poole is a tremendous young talent and you've been you've been talking about him for months now and and I think we could all kind of see what that guy gives that basketball team 
they made some really dumb, silly mistakes down the stretch as well. I think the end of it, there was a lot of stuff there that made me that reconfirmed this would be a lot of fun if these teams met in the play. There would be oh, a lot would... of heat off of that series. Absolutely. Um, and I, again, if you just want to look at what the ingredients of the Suns roster, they're equipped to deal with an irritant. Like Draymond Green. Years past, maybe not. Mm-hmm. But Jay Crowder is the Suns' version of Draymond Green. I think he um, is less demonstrative about it. I tweeted out last night, I think Draymond Green gets so much leeway from officials in this league because of his reputation. And he's a tremendous defender. But what he does on the floor, I mean, the, the way he's, he got fouled by Jay Crowder on that play, going to the hoop. Mm-hmm. He acted like he got just sniped on that play. Yeah, he sold it, and they made a late call. Yeah, um, the fact that you know it was Draymond Green on a play there where there was a foul called, and Steve Kerr trusted Draymond Green to challenge that call, mm-hmm. um, and I knew it was getting reversed because it's Draymond Green, one of the premier defensive players in the league. The Suns don't have that luxury, but yeah, to, to, to get to the same ending point as you did. Um, it would be nerve-wracking, certainly, mm-hmm. but it would have a series between the Suns and the Warriors would have a ton of heat in the postseason. Yeah, and that would be that would be a marquee that would be the marquee series in the Western Conference because, as Howard Beck pointed out, there's just a lot of mushiness in the West right now. Yeah, um, I know Mavericks fans this morning because I read about this. They're screaming about why isn't Luca being seriously considered for MVP given the fact that that Dallas team is now a three seed in the West. And who who he's playing with is nothing like who Devin Booker is playing with. I can tell you that much. It, it, what, so what I'm saying is is there's a lot of there's a lot of fluidity. It's one week you think you're a contender, and one week you're scrambling. And, and the one constant is the Phoenix Suns keep beating teams. Um, I, I I know what you're saying about Draymond Green, but again, I think the Suns got plenty of benefits of calls themselves last night. And and I think Devin Booker's what he shoot twelve free throws last night. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I, 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 that to me is is neither here nor there. I think what is relevant is if JaVale McGee and Cam Johnson were added to this side and Steph Curry is added to that side, what is that going to look like? What will that look? And because one of the great things about the Suns team is, again, they don't, they don't fear challenges. They attack challenges. Well, let, let, let me also ask the question. Do you think that... Aiton and Booker's shot was off yesterday because of something the Warriors did to them or just because they had a bad game? Because uh, I'll reiterate, combo. if they play like they normally play, the, the Suns would have won easily. They both looked like different players last night. Yeah, they did. And part of that credit you have to give to the defense, to the atmosphere, to the, I mean, I don't know if enormity is the right word, but there there was a feel going into that game. Mm-hmm. And there was a little bit of pressure I think the Suns put on themselves too. Uh, not only to try to get the franchise tying sixty second franchise record tying sixty second win, but as I mentioned earlier in the show, I think this team this season in four games has really pressed against the Golden State Warriors. They have not played yeah. well against that's, them, and I think that's the takeaway. I think that is the take. There's something about that matchup that puts them on edge, lessens them, whatever. It's it's 
it's nothing that really overly concerns me. Yeah. But but I do think that there th- that is the key takeaway. And I think I think maybe not so Devin Booker you can see when he's burning and running too hot. Last night seemed he like a normal seemed like he just ran into a bad shooting game last night. The DA thing, I can see DA kind of that loudness of Draymond and all that stuff that comes with that. Uh-huh. I don't know. I just I I think that a forceful DA would go a long way yeah. in in helping this matchup tilt. But in the on the Steph side of things, I mean, he did play three times against the Suns this year. Yep, he shot thirty two percent in those games. Yeah, it's not like he's been good either. No, and, and the games that Golden State was able to win against the Suns mm-hmm. this year, Steph Curry was not at the heart of it because of his his tremendous shooting. I mean, they won those games because of guys like Gary uh, Gary Payton the second, Otto Porter. Juan Toscano Anderson had a big game against yeah. the Suns. Those were the guys I think that were more instrumental in the two wins against the Suns than than Steph Curry yeah. or Draymond Green. Yeah, I think I think the Warriors up the ante by going into the game claiming that they believed they were still the team to beat in the West, and that's fine if they feel that way. Um, and then the Draymond act after the game, it's it's clear that that this is going to be a lot of fun. This will this is the this is the clash I want to see. Well, yeah, and look at it from the Golden State standpoint. They were dominant. They were the dominant Western Conference team for a span of what five years, mm-hmm. and they haven't had the torch taken away from them. Competitively speaking, they had a rash of severe injuries, and they they're just now bouncing back from that. So they in, still, in their minds, in, in their minds, they're still holding the torch. Yeah. They don't they don't want to give it up. L- yeah. Literally starting with their loss to the the Raptors. Yeah, that that they said like that would have never happened if if we were healthy, and ever since then, Clay Thompson out, you know, Steph Curry on and off the the court the last few years. Mm-hmm. So in their minds, you're right. Nobody really took our belt. Well, it's being taken. <laughs> That's it, though. Like everybody's like, I don't want to, I don't want to play them in the second round. If you're really truly as good as you. Th- it looks like they are. Play. Yeah. 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 I we yeah. had similar I'd rather dis- play him in the second round. We had similar discussions last year in the first round. Man, right, there was the a Lakers. lot of people yep. that said, "Oh, I don't want to play the Lakers in the first round." Right. And I said, "Look, if you want to get to where you have set out to go, you got to have speed bumps. You got to have challenges." Yeah, how do we feel the after Fe- game 3? <laughs> Honestly, the, the the Phoenix Suns should fear nobody in the Western Conference mm-hmm. because they are clearly the best team in the Western Conference. That could change. You know, when the stake, when the you. stakes are risen and the pressure is on, that could change. But right now, they should fear nobody. Yeah. Have you subscribed to the Bickley and Murata podcast? Subscribe right now on your iPhone or Android. You'll never miss any of the show. It's the Bickley and Murata podcast brought to you by Carol Royce, Keller Williams, Realty East Valley. Get the most money selling your home for cash. Go to highestprice.com. That is highestprice.com. Coming up next. We go into the NFL for some hash marks around the league and some juicy stuff next. Bickley and Murata mornings, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Bickley and Murata. Hash marks. I'm excited about it, man. My family is excited about it. Um, I can't wait to get back uh, up there. You know, I just text um, all the guys and um, you know, all the guys excited that um, that I, I chose to, to stay put. So, it's going to be a, a fun year. It was a fun year last year. It wasn't the outcome that, obviously, that we wanted. But, you know, we got another crack at it. You know, so got it's another going to be, crack at it. Yeah, and it's pretty much everybody who was there last year. So it's going to be fun um, to, to, to get back in the building and, and, and see all of this um, kind of manifest. 
Patrick Peterson on his own All Things Covered podcast. Remember when the audio from that podcast was like weekly content here on the Bickley Show? Oh, yeah. Show? Yeah, I do remember that. <laughs> Not so much anymore since the season in Minnesota, but that was uh, from his latest episode of the podcast where he says he's going back to Minnesota. He did claim, Bick, that there was interest. Uh, from other teams. The Cardinals not among those teams, but uh, he mentioned Buffalo, Chicago, Indianapolis, Washington, and Tampa Bay all had interest. Instead, he's going back to the Vikings. Yeah. And I, I guess there was some sort of conversation going on uh, on Twitter among Cardinal fans, and a lot of Cardinal fans were in support of, hey, Arizona, they need help at the cornerback position. Patrick Peterson coming back wouldn't be the worst thing. Which I agree with, but I, I, I don't think he would have made the team much better. And, and I pointed out to somebody who, who actually sought me out, said, am I missing something here? And I said, well, Arizona fans, by and large, are a nostalgic bunch. Uh-huh. When a former great player becomes available, it seems like nine times out of ten, a lot of the fan base wants them Let's back. bring them back! No, yes. I mean, do we not Do we not know how it all ended? Do we not remember how it all ended with Patrick Peterson here? Do we? <laughs> I think a lot of that gets washed it's away. It's really, really, uh, really odd. And Patrick Peterson wasn't bad last year, but he wasn't CB1 good. And and so, uh, no, that, that to me would be nonsensical. I'd be surprised if Patrick Peterson really did have that much interest based on the way he played last year. And again, he, I was happy for him to get back in the end zone. And he, he, he put up a pick six in the last game of the season. But, but I think Patrick Peterson is, I mean, he's fine as a supplemental guy, but if, if, if I just, he's, he's lost a little bit, lost a step. I would agree. Um, and, you know, when you look at the Cardinals' position, uh, the, the cornerback position, it was uneven last year. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt about That's it. That's part of it, too, right? Early in the season, uh, that unit played much better than expected. And as the season went on, we could talk about the offense bogging down. We could talk about the absence of DeAndre Hopkins. But injury and uh, lessened play at the cornerback spot was a big reason why the Cardinals folded down the stretch, Without in my doubt. opinion. I don't Without think it doubt. gets talked about enough. Yeah, and and I think that you could you could tie Robert Alford's injury at the end of the year into uh, how things kind of fell apart, but I think it's... But all three of those guys yeah, missed that's, time. That's the whole thing, and it, so I, I do think that is an area... I, I really firmly believe the Cardinals are going to look, look probably in the draft at that area uh-huh. and wide receiver and hope they can get lucky. Uh, there's a name that's really been hot on the mock drafts this week going to the Cardinals, and that's Clemson corner Andrew Booth Jr. It seems to be in that range that he'll be available, but uh, expect the Cardinals in, in one of their top picks. Maybe not the first pick, but uh, they're, they're going to draft a corner to add to that mix. Yeah, but again, that's now up to three you know, probable starters that they need to find in the draft. As of now, well, it, as of now, as of now, but but there has to be some signings coming. There has to be. We just haven't seen this second wave really kind of. What do you, you think about that? The rumor that they're meeting with who was it? Malik Turner. Malik Turner. Yeah. Um. Uh. After I looked up who Malik Turner was, right? Exactly. I was like, um. Okay. He can, he plays receiver. I mean. <laughs> He's not being counted on to come in and be the number two guy, which is the big spot they have to fill. Mm-hmm. And I see some debate now, people writing articles about whether or not they believe Rondale Moore can be the number two. I think Rondale Moore is a unique talent. I think he is really talented. But after what we saw in terms of his usage and deployment last year, 
would I feel comfortable him being the number two receiver after that? Absolutely not. No. Because I'm not sure, based on what we saw, that the Cardinals know exactly how to use him. He has to take a step to be their number three. Yeah, that's, from last year. Yeah, yeah, and it's 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 really odd because once again we're hearing projections about yeah you know what this will open up space and room and we'll we'll feature Rondale more we'll feature feature him more next year. It's that kind of logic. It's like okay, then why did you struggle with his deployment so much last year? And, and to me, I think that uh, I think the 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 truth is, without DeAndre Hopkins on the field, they do not have enough weapons on the edge, and and I think that is one of the main takeaways from the end of the season. Yeah. Too reliant on DeAndre Hopkins in the passing game. We mentioned uh, you know, Walter Mitchell writes for Revenge of the Birds, and he had a very critical piece uh, earlier this week that we referenced. But he also mm-hmm. had a tweet yesterday, and I wanted to get your thoughts on this. All right. Uh, for those of you who can't wait to just get rid of Andy Isabella by any means, just remember how many fans were saying the same thing about Hassan Reddick after his third year. Andy has as much talent at wide receiver as anyone on the roster besides Hopkins. He has been colossally misused. Which I don't think anybody, and I'm not saying I agree with it, it got me thinking though, because I don't think anybody has accused the Cardinals of misusing Andy Isabella. I think most of the frustration with Andy Isabella is how can this guy not get on the field? He was a second round pick with all that speed. Yeah. Is it possible that they've to use Walter Mitchell's phrase colossally, colossally misused, misused him? him? Uh, because I... we, we we've got questions about other players, Christian Kirk, Rondell mm-hmm. Moore. Oh, you can you the you can go all the way back to Hassan Reddick. Mhm. Uh, yeah, listen. <laughs> they've got a history of doing this. So is it possible? Yeah. But also, I think Andy Isabella, some of the issues he has, don't speak to a wide receiver with all that much talent. He lo- he can't track the ball in space on the deep routes. We've seen him struggle to locate the ball, and, and he waits for the ball to come to him. And you can't do that in the NFL. You can't catch the football with your chest in the NFL. That statement being potentially true is actually uh, what they call in the business a self-own Andy Isabella probably does have as much talent as any receiver on the roster right now other than DeAndre Hopkins because the receiver room is thin and terrible right now. Right. It's not it's but, certainly not a strength. No, but but Rondale Moore has more talent than Andy Isabella. And there's a possibility that Rondale Moore has been colossally misused as the metrics will show last year. But yeah, I mean, just the history of yeah. Slot guys in the last couple of years. Yeah. He, uh, Kirk, Moore. We had the Larry Fitzgerald slot misuse conversation on this show plenty of times. There are so many guys in the NFL who have the, the skill set of Andy Isabella who succeed by just using transcendent speed to get off the line of scrimmage and run quick slants, um, rub routes, all that kind of stuff, and and they post great numbers. And for whatever reason, the Cardinals have never been able to unlock that with Andy Isabella. Yeah. I Instead, what... they want him to return punts, and again, locating the ball and catching it is not his strength. I remember we had Mike Jarecki on early, maybe his before even... Andy Isabel ever played a game, and he was saying how he just couldn't get off the line in practices mm-hmm. and watch out because it's not going to be as quick a transition to the NFL as we might all have thought. Yeah, but and then then he spent an off season working on that specifically, and he got he got much better against press coverage, and yet it never unlocked anything. But then played less and played less. Yeah, 
Who knows? Maybe he's still part of the plan. We'll find out about misuse. Yeah. They didn't right. trade him and they didn't release him yet. Yeah. Uh, it's your last shot to participate in the Madness. Text Bucks to 620-620 and choose from the last four teams for your chance to win $500. That's Bucks to 620-620. It's the Arizona Sports Bracket Bucks presented by Santan Ford and Schwartz Laser Eye Center. Coming up next... Yeah, there's still some regular season basketball to be played, but it's about time you start looking forward to potential matchups for the Phoenix Suns in the postseason. We'll do that next. It's Bickley and Murata Mornings, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. The home of the Suns, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. And listen live on the Arizona Sports app. Bickley and Murata Mornings. The Suns run to the playoffs, presented by Canvas Annuity. Cardinals Overtime. I don't know what that was. Who's running that board? Thursday edition of Bickley and Murata Mornings, live from the Ock Chin Community Studios. Dan Bickley, Vince Murata, Jarrett Carlin, Sarah Cazell on assignment. That's just the, the catch-all yeah. for everything. Okay. I like to say that. I will be on assignment tomorrow and Monday. Okay. Yeah. You guys going to be all right without me? We'll make it. <laughs> <laughs> I was only joking, <laughs> but I like your answer. Um, there is what six games to be uh, to be played for the Phoenix Suns. They are sixty-two and fourteen. Just amazing stuff. Forty-six and zero uh, when they have a lead going into the fourth quarter. Uh, all of those things were tested last night. They have not lost a road game to a Western Conference opponent since December. I mean, these, this calendar insane. year they yeah. have not lost. No. Wow. It, it, it's all unbelievable stuff, but it's only human nature now. When you get this close to the playoffs, you know the Suns are going to be the number one seed. We don't know what the rest of the pecking order looks like, although the, the, the Grizzlies are pretty much locked into that number two spot. What happens beyond there is anybody's guess. Um, and there are, we, I, we saw a sample of it last night. The mm-hmm. Golden State Warriors have been a middling team since Christmas, they've been uh, dealing with injuries. But we saw that on a one-game basis how difficult they could make it for the Phoenix Suns, especially when you get a hot shooter. Um, I think we're in agreement, and we've talked about it today, Bick, that a best-of-seven series between the Warriors and Suns I think would bring out a lot of energy in both teams. Oh, it would be great. And I think they're the dueling fan bases, because the dubs, if you will, Vinny, they all believe that. And I like the way Jared put this out there the last time we spoke about this, because in their mind, in their world, it it's not like they've been dethroned. They've been devastated by injuries and Kevin Durant has left and all so so they really believe the return of the king kind of deal mm-hmm. the return of the throne and and I get they can feel whatever way they want but I think the Phoenix Suns are no this is our time that was your time this is our time and to me it's it's bigger than just going up against LeBron that was the thing in that first round series against the Lakers it was like wow LeBron possibly losing in the first round and see, to me, this is different. This is, this is, this would be the clash of the titans. And I, I, I think that I, I think that the Warriors have reason to pivot off of last night's game and feel good about themselves because Draymond has not been good for a couple of weeks. I, he even he even admitted it. He said he's been terrible lately. 
And last night he was moving like he does defensively and barking and jawing and all that stuff. And so I, I think they have reason to feel like, hey, we, we played them tight. You can convince yourself of anything. There's sure. a million factors that went into that game playing, the, playing out the way it did. And it doesn't necessarily mean the Warriors are close to the Suns because they played them close without Steph Curry. That's a false equivalency. You can't just claim that to be true when there was a lot of factors in that game. I'm kind of surprised Draymond Green went with the, um, we almost beat them. Yeah. Aren't you guys better than that well, to get it, a moral victory yeah. and that you still lost, that the Suns played terrible and mm-hmm. still beat you at your home? But but I, I almost think the Warriors, it's not a perfect comparison, but like the the 90s Bulls, there's some Bulls fans or whatever that look at it as if they won six in a row. They don't count the two in the middle because Jordan wasn't there. And when they had their full team, they won six in a row. And if you're the Warriors or the Warriors fans, you're thinking like, you know, if we have our full team, we haven't really lost mm-hmm. in you know the last yeah. five or six years. Guess what? Bulls fans are, are right to think that because if uh, they, they had their full team, they would have won eight in a row. Okay, yeah. They would have <laughs> lost the, the Rockets. No, they wouldn't have. Yeah, okay. <laughs> they were far Olajuwon would have scored fifty points a game against Bill Cartwright and Horace Grant, and Michael Jordan would have scored sixty against the Rockets. Yeah. Um, here's something to consider. What, what he what, said, Jerry. We had the discussion as well, um, and I'm not saying that you believe this, but you put it out there. All right. That there's a lot of people that believe the Suns can breeze through the playoffs because of what the analytics say. Yeah. And there's national people saying that. Yeah. And if you did have that that thought trickling into your your, your process, did last night, yeah, dissuade that you, a little did it, bit? Did it give you room for pause? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I do think that that is true. That the emotions, the immediate emotions of watching last night's game was okay. Maybe this isn't going to be that easy for them. But again, it's just a game, and and uh-huh. you can't emotionally. You want to pull a lot of stuff out of these games. It, it, it's really hard to do that because, as we pointed out, the game changes dramatically in the postseason. I, I, I'm only suggesting that the Suns might cruise through the West and maybe even the entire tournament is because that's what history suggests. When teams get 65-plus wins in a regular season, more often than not, they win the NBA Finals, and more often than not, they don't get challenged a whole lot. And that's all I'm saying. Yeah. And and there were times last year when it felt like a struggle. After three games against the Lakers, it felt uphill. With the injuries, it felt uphill. Um, going into game six against the Clippers kind of felt a little bit what's what's happening here. It, it, uh, that's all I'm saying. I it, There's a lot of things that can make this very interesting. I do think a Warriors series would really test the Suns. But, but I think this, the Suns have got some unique traits. That I think once it's go time in the playoffs and once they're fully healthy, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, and, and last night could have got sideways because they weren't playing well. And we, we, we've applauded the Suns with good reason. When the game is on the line and it's clutch time, that's when they really, really succeed or really buckle down mm-hmm. and, and, and kind of elevate their game. Last night, I mean, there was a lot of times where they were stepping on the gas pedal last night and nothing was happening. Mm-hmm. But... They still found a way to win that game, and uh, Devin Booker talked about it afterwards on, on being able to stay calm in a game like that. I mean, we, we've just been there before. Um, we know the antics. We we understand that we do have a target on our backs being the best team in the NBA, um, so all that comes with it. Um, but we just, you know, we, all, we always preach the wear-down effect and 
just weather the storm. There's going to be runs, and you know that's when we need each other more. That's when we come together. Yeah, and I look at the rest of the Western Conference in spots uh, two through eleven. When you consider uh, Sacramento's only. Well, they're four games behind the Lakers right now for that last spot. So two through 11. Lakers back by a half game over San Antonio for that last play-in spot. Those teams <laughs> in those spots right now have combined to beat the Suns seven times all year long. Seven of their 14 losses this year have come against teams two through 11 in the Western Conference. The yeah. only team that has beaten them twice is Golden State. Memphis could make that claim if they beat them tomorrow night, um, but this is where I'm, I'm wavering between these two thoughts. Will it be easy? No, it's never all that easy. But then mm-hmm. you look at what ha- what's happened in the regular season, and they have made it look easy against the Western Conference. And I, I, I think the Suns are the top-heavy part of the conference. I, I think Howard Beck's thoughts on Memphis are right on the money. Yeah, That's a really good basketball team that could be in for a rude awakening when the, when the playoffs hit. Um, not to say that they won't get out of the first round. The Eastern Conference, I think, for whoever comes out of the West, mm-hmm. they got to feel great about themselves because I think the Eastern Conference teams, those top four, they're going to kill each other. Yeah, before it, they get to the finals. No, that's exactly right. So, so I, I do believe that. I, I, I do believe when you look in the West, I, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of reasons the Phoenix Suns can look and say, all right, this is this is really breaking well for us. I feel like there's less legitimate contenders, legitimate threats for the Phoenix Suns than there was last year. And I think, for instance, last night's game, we know last year's playoffs, DeAndre Ayton hit something of a stretch, uh, switch, and he was sensational in the postseason. Mm-hmm. If he was sensational last night, then we wouldn't be having this conversation today. Exactly. That he, missed, he missed so many, like, two-foot, three-foot shots. Just, ugh. Yeah, and I think there's times, and we got enamored with the touch that he has, and it is still elite touch. It just wasn't present last night. But again, mm-hmm. my frustration with DeAndre Ayton last night was just in, in the, the securing of the yeah. basketball, yeah. whether it's on a rebound or Fumbling an entry stuff. pass yep. or uh, having the ball knocked away from a, by a defender uh, popped up way too many times. He had five turnovers last night. You can text your thoughts to the FanDuel text line at 620-620 right now. Coming up next... About a week away from opening day in Major League Baseball. Believe it or not, we'll talk to the president and CEO of the Arizona Diamondbacks, Woo-hoo. Derek Hall, next. It's Bickley and Murata Mornings, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. I have the high privilege and distinct honor of presenting to you the president... He's the president and CEO of your Arizona Diamondbacks. Derek Hall. The president. Every week we talk uh, baseball, business of baseball, with Derek Hall, the president and CEO of the Arizona Diamondbacks, and he joins us right now for his weekly visit. Good morning, Derek. How are you? Good morning, friends. Doing great. How are you guys? Good. A, uh, a week until uh, opening day. It's uh, we 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 knew it was a truncated spring training, but I think it's gone faster than than anybody uh, really thought it would. To that question, though, uh, Derek, how, how do you think uh, the Diamondbacks have handled this spring training? All things considered, getting the late start uh, and, and where the team is right now. 
Well, I think first offense, the guys really came in in shape, which helps, you know, because they were going to have a a shorter spring training, and they've been all business. Uh, The guys that were here last year that are back this year were embarrassed by last year, as we all were. Um, We know that there were a lot of growing pains, but hopefully those growing pains and and developmental issues are behind us, and you'll see guys that are just uh, playing the game the way they should, competing, uh, catching the ball, throwing the ball, um, all of that. So I think what I've seen in spring, it's very encouraging. We show a lot of depth with our pitching staff. They've been very effective this spring we've been uh, we've been in every game especially of late where you see the the normal lineup the regular lineup for the most part out there like yesterday against the, the Rockies we both had our full squads out there and it was nice to see um, but I've been I've been really impressed so far Vince it's been a really good spring as you guys know with spring training coming to an end and we have our, our last few exhibition games at Chase Field next week and then we open up Thursday it's a it's a scary first month I mean it really is we've got yeah we got four games against the Padres we got six against the Mets, we got three against the Dodgers, we got three against the Cardinals, we got two against the Astros. So it's a really tough first month. And, uh, you know, these guys will, they'll be ready to go. They'll be focused for sure because of the coaching staff and, and our manager who have been all business. Extending Cattell Marte, what does this investment mean? How do you guys, what do you guys see in him in the years to come? What role is he going to play on, on the Diamondbacks current and in the future? Yeah, I mean, he, he plays a big role, obviously. He's one of our, our more talented players. He's had the most production for us over the last several years. Uh, he wants to be here. That's a that's a great sign. And, you know, the fact that we both came together when we didn't have to. I mean, he certainly could have waited and played it out and, and had a big free agent contract after this. We, too, could have said we have three years of control of, of you, Cattell, and we don't have any reason to do this. So I think it showed how much how much faith and, and, uh, and confidence we have in him and vice versa. He likes this team. He let us know. He really likes the, the youth and the talent that he sees coming up that, are, that is already here and still in the pipeline. That's all good. You know, he wants to win, but he wants to do it in a D-backs uniform, and I'm really proud of him for that. On the duration of the deal and the price tag that was reported on the deal, that struck me, Derek, as a, as a deal that was really good for, for both sides. Do you agree with that? Totally agree, Vince. Yeah. And, and I don't, you know, look, in a, in a negotiation like that, when you have a guy that really is at the time your franchise player, you don't want either side to look like they, they won that deal. You want both sides. And I really agree with you. He's happy. We're happy. And he doesn't have to worry about it. He could just go out and play the game that he loves. All right. Uh, there are some guys who are having a nice spring. Zach Ellen's outing the other day was good. David Peralta looks terrific. Uh, when you piece it all together and you try to cultivate what matters from what you're seeing in spring training so far, what kind of what kind of stuff stands out at you? What, what kind of identity do you see forming? All of that stuff. Yeah, again, I, you know, I go back, Dan, to the, the fact that I'm so excited about the prospects that we have. You know, that was one of the first things we told Mike Hazen, Amiel, Fitz, all those guys, your number one job, you know, have us compete on the field, but your number one job is to rebuild that farm system. We had gone from a top 10 to a bottom of three. Um, and now, you know, we're, we're considered a top three farm system. And when you see these kids coming up and pitching in big league games or hitting in big league games, you know, you have the excitement of, of, of Dre Jamison throwing over a 100 miles per hour consistently in a game the other day. Uh, Jordan Lawler is, is out there playing, and, and on the backfields, by the way, he's just lighting it up. Um, the lefty from Michigan, Tommy Henry, getting in and showing what he can do. Uh, Corbin Carroll, it's really exciting. But putting that aside, because those guys are all knocking on the door, I, I think the young players that we introduced last year are showing that that next year, Bick, they're ready to go. I mean, when you see the production on the field right now and playing the game the right way with Varsho, with Paven Smith, with Roa, 
Rojas. I mean, it, it's really exciting. And, and if you're a D-back fan, you have to love the fact that we're doing it all internally, which is yeah. what we had tried to commit to years ago. That's who we should be. And we often veered away, as mm-hmm. you know better than anyone, right? We yeah. thought we were a player away. We put all the chips in. And no, we got to stick to who we are. And this is who we are. So we need to do a great job of letting our fans know how the prospects are doing, how close they are, because there are really talented players who are going to be up here and in D-backs uniforms for a long time to come. Derek Hall, president and CEO of the Diamondbacks, our weekly guest here on Bickley and Murata Mornings. All that said, and I don't disagree with you, Derek, that I, I think a lot of fans feel good about this this solid plan moving forward, but what does that mean for Arizona Diamondbacks' goals for 2022 in terms of wins and losses? Yeah, and, and, you know, like Bick said this morning, uh, depending on the pitching staff, what are you going to be, a 55 win, a 70 win? You know, I hope we're going to be above that, and I really think we can. We cannot have another season like last year, nor do I think we will. Um, we talked about it last week, the three of us, and the fact that we played so poorly defensively, which is not us, that's uncharacteristic of us, that will change. We're going to play much better defensively, and we have back into the bullpen help. So it always comes down to pitching. Our starters are going to have to set the tone. Um, you know, Zach, like you said, looked great in his two and two-thirds. Bumgarner's velocity has been up. Uh, Merrill Kelly has been unhittable. Granted, it's spring. Right. But, but all of these guys are going to have to set the tone. You've got to have two or three starters that are going to go a little longer than they did last year. But now we can turn the ball over to some really talented relievers, whether it's Wendelkin or Kennedy or Melanson. And Ian looks great as well. I, I'm excited about the changes and the improvements that we made, which tells me this year, Vince, we should do much better than last year. We're going to compete. You know, Are we going to be a 500 team? I don't know. We'll see. That would be a pleasant surprise, especially with the youth that, that are going to give us that sustainability for several years to come. But anything can happen with this team. Anything can happen in this game. And the good thing about young players is they may not necessarily share the pessimism of, of some of the fan base or a radio host who you just mentioned. And, and a lot of times the, the, they, can, they can vibe on that underdog spirit. Do you see any I of think, that? I think so, for sure. We always have, right? You like to play with a little chip on your shoulder. I think it's great. I mean, you know, look at our Phoenix Suns and the way they're playing, and three, four, five years ago when we were talking about how young they were and talented they are, I'm now I'm not comparing ourselves to the Suns. I'm saying, to your point, Bick, the fans get behind that, right? And when they feel like it's their guys and that they're maturing, the maturation process is laying out right in front of them. They get on the they get on board, they get on the bandwagon. So it's it's going to be, you know, it's it's going to be quick. It's going to be quick for them to get here, and they're showing that they can handle the pressure and they can produce. Nothing that brings more pride to a fan base than guys that they think are their own. Derek Hall, our guest here on uh, 98.7 FM Arizona Sports Station. A couple of non-baseball items for you. Saw the uh, team announce that uh, cold beers and cheeseburgers going into that prominent left field porch after it was not occupied last year. And it may seem cosmetic, but that was such a big I – mean, that, that space is such a big part of the history of Chase Field. What does that mean to have that space occupied again for the fans? Oh, there? man, it's great. Yeah, that was a result of COVID, uh, you know, unfortunately. And we thought about different products to put in there. And Cold Beers and Cheeseburgers has, uh, has really stepped up. They're excited about taking over that, that space. Um, they're already working on it. It'll be at some point this summer. And they're going to have a bourbon and bones as well in there. And there's some nice. other exciting, you know, uh, concession items we're going to be announcing next week. So, so you're going to see a lot of changes to the ballpark in a positive positive light, and especially when it comes to concessions and the overall experience. Uh, I have one other food-related question, and maybe you don't want to okay. let the cat out of the bag, but I got a buddy who's just wearing me out. He's, a, he's an avid Diamondbacks fan. He's also an avid beer fan, and he has specifically asked me on several different occasions, asked Derek Hall if the $4 value beers are coming back. So I'm checking this box, Derek. Uh, you could say no. I just I've, I've fulfilled my part of it. 
<laughs> I'm going to tell you this. Yeah, now, now we did a pricing meeting with, with our partner, Levy, and they will tell you, as you can imagine, with inflation and the, and the costs going up, but that is a big-time priority for us and for me to make sure we have family value pricing and we have the value beer. So it will still be there. Okay. If it's, you know, if it's, it may not be $4, but it's not going to quite be $5, so it's still going to be the best oh. value in all of baseball. All right. Absolutely. I, tell him he is safe. All right. I think you made my buddy very, very happy. <laughs> Derek, always good to talk to you. Uh, enjoy the rest of the week, and we'll talk to you next week as we get the, get things rolling for real. Looking forward to it. Talk to you on opening day. Thanks, right. guys. Thank you, Derek Hall, president and CEO of the Arizona Diamondbacks, our uh, guest here as he is weekly on uh, 98.7 FM Arizona Sports Station. Coming up next, we hit the 9 o'clock hour in style through social studies. That's next, Bickley and Murata Mornings.